lead me to the cross. Would you open your scripture to John chapter 10? We'll be reading in this gospel, continuing our sermon series entitled Jesus, the Revealer of Life. And today we are continuing with chapter 10. If you're using uh, this Bible in, in, our, in our chairs, red little Bibles, you may find this passage on page number 931. 931. And especially for children who are in our service this morning. Children, we're so glad you're here. We always enjoy having you. Thank you for being so attentive. This is one of those passages in the Bible where you will recognize a story because most adults remember this story also. Let's read John chapter 10, verse 1. As a matter of fact, let me start reading with a few verses in chapter 9. Let's start with chapter 9, verse 40. And then we'll go to chapter 10. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep and by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, They will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is a demon-possessed and raving man. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The unbelief of the Jews. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in the Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name, 
speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch him out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to size him, to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Amen. Friends, there is no greater epitaph than to hear what people said about John. All that John said about this man was true. And there is no greater response from us who hear these words than the response in verse 42, and in that place, many believed in Jesus. I pray that this would be our response, our experience this morning for you, for all of us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to lead us as we hear His Word. O oh, most gracious Father, we thank You that You Yourself came to shepherd Your people, Your sheep, to look for them, to look for the lost sheep, to call them because they were Yours, and those that were Yours respond to You. They recognize Your voice. O oh, Father, we pray that many of us this morning would be able to recognize your voice and listen and follow. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, for those of you who grew up in the church, would you raise your hand? You grew up in the church. Well, okay, most of us. For those of you who grew up in the church, I'm sure that among your most favorite stories that you remember from childhood, one of the favorite stories must be the story of the Good Shepherd. Remember those flanellographs? Those of you who were born after mid-1990s have no idea. Flanellographs. Yes, they were pieces of cloth that stuck together. And, 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 and children's teachers would, uh, would put, put these pictures. They were made of cloth, really and put them together and just developed the picture. And we children, we started with a blank flanellograph, perhaps with some trees. And then slowly one piece was added to the story, and we were just amazed how the story unfolds. Flanellographs. 
children today have they lost the joy of, of being taught with flanellographs. Today we have iPads and video games and all kinds of stuff. But, but I, remember, I remember the story of, of the Good Shepherd. And I remember how it was presented to us always. It was, it was presented, I remember at least, it was presented to us uh, as a very peaceful, reassuring, uh, comforting story with a sheep and on a lushful pasture and sheep one by one were put in that pen. And all of that is true, that it's a peaceful, reassuring, comforting story, except that when we read the context of where John puts this story, there is an unfortunate problem, the chapter divisions and the verse divisions. And by the way, the chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles were not part of the original manuscripts. They were added much, much later, around the 15th or 16th century, just to help us with finding our way through the Bible. For those of you who are new to the Bible, the chapters are those numbers that are big, verses are those numbers that are really, really tiny. Now, the problem is very unfortunate in chapter 10 because chapter 10 begins with the story of the Good Shepherd, and because of this, it gives the impression that we are beginning a new episode in John's gospel. But the story of the Good Shepherd is all happening in the events of chapter 9, when Jesus confronted the Jews with their spiritual blindness. Look at verse 1 in chapter 10. It starts with the words, I tell you the truth. Now, this verse is a continuation of what Jesus said in verse 41 of chapter 9. If you are blind you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And right after this, Jesus goes on and says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Jesus is seeking to open the eyes of these Pharisees to understand who are the true shepherds? Now, another proof that the story should be seen with chapter 9 in mind is look at verse 21 in chapter 10, where people refer back to Jesus' identity and the miracle of healing the blind man. In a sense, what starts in chapter, really, what starts in chapter 8 and then 9 ends in chapter 10, verse 21. This means as a story of the Good Shepherd must be understood and interpreted in the context of Jesus healing the blind man and in the context of the dialogue on spiritual blindness. You remember from last week, the man who was healed by Jesus was blind and he was willing to follow Jesus even at the risk of being put out of the synagogue, unlike his parents who are fearful. What will happen to this blind man now that he had been thrown out? What will happen with all the other Jews who were threatened to be kicked out of the synagogue? Where will they turn if their own religious leaders turn their backs on them? Who will lead them? Who will guide them? Where will they go? These were the fears of the parents of the blind man. And it is to these fears that Jesus speaks. And he speaks by giving the story of the Good Shepherd. But Jesus gives the story of the Good Shepherd also in his dialogues with the Pharisees. If these Jewish leaders were kicking the Jews out of the synagogue because they chose to follow Christ... What does this story tell about them? And then for these people, they need to figure out which spiritual leaders should the people follow? How they sh should they determine who to listen to, the Jewish leaders or Jesus? So the story of the Good Shepherd is in the closest possible relationship to the events of chapter 9. This is the immediate context. But there's another context. This entire immediate context finds its roots 
in the deep fabric of the Old Testament itself, where time and again God characterizes people um, as His flock, as His sheep. And God Himself appointed people, would appoint representatives, people who would represent God and lead His people. They were, they were to have the role of spiritual shepherds. This began with, with Moses Himself. Uh, by the way, do you know what was Moses' first job? He was a shepherd. And then Moses is called to be the spiritual shepherd of, of Israel as he leads out the people out of Egypt. But at the end of, of the, their time in, in, in the desert of Sinai, of, of, of sin, right before they enter Canaan, Moses prays the following prayer. He's passing on the baton to Joshua, and he prayed, in the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verse 15, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. And the man God chose at that time was Joshua. Uh, which, by the way, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Joshua is spelled Jesus. Take that to the bank as a hint for what was going to take place much, 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 much later when the true shepherd will come and shepherd his sheep. God had chosen this man, Joshua, and and then subsequently after him, God had chosen other leaders, David and, and many others. But Israel's shepherds did not always follow the Lord's guidance. So their shepherding was compromised. And as a matter of fact, in the book of Hosea, God criticizes His people for appointing leaders without asking the Lord, without doing what Moses did in the book of Numbers. People said, no, we're going we're gonna to choose our own shepherds. So by the time we get to the book of Ezekiel, God has a long accusation against Israel's shepherds and also against the sheep who are doing the same thing as the shepherds. This text was read earlier, uh, or part of it was read earlier by our brother Bob in Ezekiel chapter 34. God promises that He Himself will come and shepherd His people and He will gather His lost sheep and He will make them one flock and will appoint over them one shepherd his servant David, and he'll get rid of the existing shepherds. Now, in the Old Testament, this promise created a little bit of a problem. How could God promise that He Himself, listen to this, how could God promise that He Himself will come and shepherd His sheep, but also that He will appoint one shepherd, His servant David? And then by this time, David was already dead. Is it God? Or is it this servant who will be shepherd over this flock? Well, when we get to the Gospel of John, we find out that it's both. Because Jesus is God. That's what this Gospel is trying to tell us over and over and over again. He is God. He is divine. He is one with the Father yet distinct. That's why through His incarnation, He's also the descendant of David. Friends, the story of the Good Shepherd is a fulfillment that God indeed is changing the guard over His flock. God is putting away the corrupt shepherds of Israel and installing Christ as the Good Shepherd because Christ Himself was God. But corrupt shepherds breed corrupt sheep. Corrupt shepherds attract corrupt sheep, breed corrupt sheep. So the change of the guards also implies a differentiation among the sheep. And this story tells us who are the sheep that belong to the Good Shepherd. You see, friends, spiritual blindness is not just the disease of the spiritual shepherds. It's also the disease of many of the sheep they tended. 
And if this is true, the, the saying that one blind man leads another blind man. So let's see how Jesus unfolds a theme of, or expands the theme of spiritual blindness and healing, but this time through the story of the Good Shepherd and His sheep. We will look at the story Jesus gives. There's a short story Jesus gives. And then Jesus makes three interpretations or three applications uh, from the story and expands the meaning of the story for His ministry and for us. Um, and, and, and those three interpretations are about the gate, the shepherd, and about the sheep. In other words, spiritual blindness can be healed when we understand who is the gate, who is the shepherd, and who are the true sheep of the good shepherd. Who is the gate, who is the shepherd, and who are the sheep of the good shepherd. Let's look at the short story first, and then we'll unpack these points. Jesus provides a picture of a Jewish sheep pen. It, was, it had only one entry, and once in a while, the, the shepherd, and this was true of any, any shepherds, the shepherd would have to go and take care of some other business. So he would, he would have a watchman come and watch over the sheep pen until he took care of the business and then came back. And when he would come back, he would walk through the gate, the sheep the, the watchman would recognize him and he would come to his sheep and take him on to the pastures and move on and, and take care of the sheep. In, in some way, this is, this is the, the, the story. But as we look at the story carefully, Jesus tells us that there were other men who would also come by the sheep pen. And they would not come to shepherd the sheep. They would come to steal and to destroy these were the thieves and the robbers. They would not, the, the way people would recognize them is that they would not enter by the gate because the watchman was there. So they would, they would jump the fence. So this picture of the good shepherd is not exactly in a very serene, safe, lushful pasture. Isolated from harm and vandalism. Now, if you would allow me some anachronism uh, language in this, in this picture, this sheep pen is not located in the suburbs. It's more like this sheep pen is located in a really bad neighborhood where there is risk of thieves and robbers to come by. This is the picture Jesus paints. It's a picture in a risky place. Not everyone who comes to the sheep pen is friendly to the sheep and wants their best interest. This is the story Jesus is painting. That's why it's not a very serene picture of this sheep pen right now. And the story gives most of its attention to the description of the shepherd and how he is to be distinguished from those who come to steal and to rob. Now, there are several descriptions. The shepherd comes in by the gate. Since he's the true owner of the sheep, he knows his sheep. Uh, he even knows them by name. And when he calls them, the sheep recognize his voice and follow his lead. Now, friends, all these descriptions are themes that have been running throughout this gospel. There's one Savior who calls men to follow Him. This call is given individually, and those who belong to the Father start following the Savior. And as a result of this, in chapter 6, the sheep are fed the body of Christ. In chapter 7, they no longer walk in darkness but possess the light of the world. In chapter 8, they're no longer blind, but see. In chapter 8 and 9, they're no longer blind, but see. And then in chapter 11, they will pass from death unto life. Why? Because of what happens in chapter 10. The sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd and follow his lead. That's where the shepherd leads them. And the story ends with a picture 
of these same sheep, the sheep of the shepherd, of the true shepherd, in relation to now to the, to the stranger shepherds. Look at verse 5. But they will never follow a stranger. Did you hear that? The sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, this is a story Jesus paints. But what is Jesus trying to say by it? Well, clearly verse 6 tells us that, the G, that Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand why or what he was telling them. So Jesus graciously interprets the story for them and for us. Let's see if they're going to get it after Jesus interprets the story for them. And let's see what their reactions will be after Jesus makes it very plain. I hope that you would also be open to this plain language that Jesus gives. Jesus interprets the most important elements in the story, the gate, the shepherd, and the sheep. Let's look at them briefly. The gate, the first element in the story that Jesus applies to himself is the gate. He says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Now friends, what does it mean that Jesus is a gate of the sheep, for the sheep, or the gate of the sheep pen? Why is the entry point important to identify in the story? Jesus is a gate for the sheep for two important purposes. First, no one can belong to God's flock except by entering through Christ. That's why he first says, He is the gate for the sheep. The way a sheep enters God's sheep pen is through the gate. And now that gate is explicitly identified as a person, Christ. That's why in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Friends, this should not surprise us. Later in the same gospel, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus will say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, this means that for the modern man, no Venues of spirituality or religion will suffice outside of Christ. It means that belonging to God is possible only for those who enter through the gate of His sheep pen, and that gate is Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The salvation which we're promised, if we walk through the gate, is described in this chapter as finding pasture. Now, friends, I don't know about you, honestly. If this is how salvation is described, you may say this morning, I'm not interested in that. Because to us human beings, salvation and, and green pastures, nice lawns, they're nice, but that's that's, that's not going to cut it for us. That's because we think like humans. But if you're a sheep, finding pasture is everything. And that's why, interestingly, Jesus in verse 9 says that He is coming, the shepherd is coming to take the sheep from the sheep pen and take him to the pastures. The sheep, pen are, the sheep are not supposed to stay in the sheep pen. The sheep are, are supposed to be taken out by the good shepherd to find the pastures. But in verse 9, there's a very interesting phrase. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, why don't we find the pasture if we just go in through the gate once? Why is it that finding pasture happens by first going in and then going out. Finding pasture, which is poetic language for salvation, happens not only as we enter into God's flock, but also as He, the shepherd, leads His flock out of the sheep, plan, sheep pen to green pastures. The reason the shepherd comes to the sheep pen is so that He can take His sheep and lead them to the green pastures. Sheep can't do this by themselves. Finding green pastures is not just about going into the sheep pen of God, but also going out and following 
the voice of the shepherd because he promised to give us life and life to the full. I wonder how many this morning, dear friends, think that finding pasture is just about getting in. I wonder how many of us think that finding pasture is just about making it into God's flock. And, and that is an important part for sure. But the life Christ came to give, the abundant life, a life never ending, involves a coming in and going out. A life of ongoing following of the shepherd until he will bring us to that eternal destiny. Friends, is this the way you understand salvation? Is this the way you understand salvation? As a going in and going out and finding the pastures. So the first application Jesus makes is that He is the gate and that He is the entry point into God's sheep pen for the sheep. But there's a second application. And it's so easy to miss this one. But it's there. It's explicit. Actually, we skipped it. It's in verse 8. Jesus makes a radical statement. In verse 8. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Friends, it's not only the sheep who must enter through the gate to be saved, but also the shepherds or the under-shepherds. Otherwise, they are thieves and robbers. The imagery of the, of, the, of the gate has a huge implications for those who assume the role of shepherding the sheep of God, for those who assume the role of spiritual leaders for the people of God. The ministry of shepherding is qualified only as men come through the same gate. No wonder that in the last chapter of this gospel, when Jesus appoints Peter to shepherd and feed his flock, after, Jesus, after Peter had denounced the gate, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Do you see that I'm the gate? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord. And then Jesus says, go and feed my sheep. What qualifies men for the ministry of shepherding is first and foremost their love for Christ. And this is evidence to a transformed life. People who denounce Christ either through their words or through their life choices, by the way they choose to live, do not qualify as under-shepherds. That's why in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, all qualifications for elders which is the same office as shepherds or pastors, all the qualifications except one are character qualifications. In other words, how these people relate to themselves, to their families, and to outsiders qualifies them or says something about whether or not they truly love Christ. Our love for Christ, our Christ-centeredness is evidenced by our way of life. And that is what qualifies men to be under-shepherds of God's flock. Now, friends, don't think that under-shepherds are only vocational ministers, those people that the church can afford to pay. In every congregation, God calls men to step up and carry out the shepherding roles of spiritual leadership. And some of you men, let me speak to you men for a second, some of you men, God is calling you to grow in the role of under-shepherds to shepherd this flock or other flocks. Remember that Jesus is the gate. By entering that gate, He not only gives us salvation, but He gives you access to lead His sheep. The call to shepherd God's flock should never come from personal ambition but should come from a desire and a love for the Savior. Why? Because if Christ died for the sheep, loving Christ means loving that which Christ died for. That's what qualifies men 
to step up and be recognized as under shepherd and the shepherds of God's flock. All men in our congregation, friends, let me speak to all men, all men in our congregation should aspire to live such lives. And, uh, and, and to live such lives that others around them will see very evidently that these men have walked through that gate and these men understand the call of Christ to love the sheep as Christ loved the sheep. And when that is evidence among men in our congregation, the congregation will support them and, and lift them up to, and call them to be spiritual leaders of the flock. They and they alone should lead the flock of Christ. Not just somebody who is successful in the, in the world. Not just somebody who is high in, in, in the business world. Not just someone who has experience in the secular society. It's only those who walk through the gate and whose life is so clearly marked by that that are called to actually give this kind of role of under-shepherds. And friends, I pray like Moses. I pray that God will raise up non-vocational shepherds, under-shepherds, who would come and help me in shepherding this flock. I praise God for the leaders, for the deacons that, that God has, for the men who are already serving as deacons here at Park Hills. Praise God for them. I pray that God would raise more of those among us. Yet Jesus is not just the gate. We saw that as a gate, Jesus is the, the entry point for the sheep, but also the entry point for the shepherd, for the shepherds. But then Jesus makes another major interpretation, the good shepherd. Jesus says in verses 11 through 18 that he is the good shepherd, and he says this twice. How gracious of him that he's not just the entry point for us into God's flock, but he's our eternal guide. I love what John Chrysostom, one of the, the most well-known preachers among the early church fathers, uh, he said in the fourth century, when he brings us to the Father, he called himself a door. When he takes care of us, he called himself a shepherd. How beautiful. This text gives us four descriptions of the good shepherd, and I'm going to go run quickly through them. The first description is in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, this is the most important of the descriptions. So important that the fourth one will come back to this one again. Why did he lay down his life for the sheep? Friends, knowing the answer to this question is a gateway to God. Knowing why the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep is a gate to God's sheepfold. It's not just because he loved us, although that's true. It's rather because, as the prophet Isaiah said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why he laid down his life for the sheep. Friend, it's this act alone that qualifies Jesus to be the good shepherd. He proves his authority to lead by his willingness to die for the sheep. He proves his willingness to die for the sheep he wants to lead. Do you see how that goes hand in hand? That's why, dear friends, by his death... For us, Jesus rightly deserves our following. What gives him authority to lead us as a good shepherd is his willingness to die for his sheep. Friends, let me speak to you for a second. Our submission to God, our submission to God is rooted in his love for us shown through the cross. By the way, that's why in Ephesians 5, when God calls wives to submit to husbands, He also commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. This means, dear friends, that in marriage, we should see a microcosm between the good shepherd and his sheep. Friends, if you're married, is this true in your family? The good shepherd and his sheep shown through the way you live out your marriage? 
verse 12 through 13, Jesus spends time describing false shepherds. They don't own the sheep. They, don't, they run away and abandon the flock when danger comes. They don't care for the sheep. Such men should never be trusted to be shepherds in the first place. Unlike these, we see David in the Old Testament. Do you remember David who was willing to risk his life in fighting with a wild beast, with bears and lions? True shepherds protect the sheep from danger. And David himself was a foreshadow of what Christ will do. Christ will protect his sheep by laying down his life for them. And true shepherds protect the safety of the sheep, not their safety, as they show courage in exposing false teaching, in confronting men or women who are enemies of the gospel, even though they might be religious and they claim to be leaders of the flock of God. True shepherds will confront them and risk their lives and reputation. Why? Because a good shepherd lays his life for the sheep. But the second description is the good shepherd knows his sheep. In verse 14, the good shepherd knows his sheep. Now, this may not seem a very important qualification or um, characteristic of the good shepherd, but remember what Jesus says on, on the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, uh, they will come in the day of judgment while people will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. On that day, the greatest answer you can hope to hear from the Good Shepherd is, I knew you. And this is why the second description is so critical. The Good Shepherd knows his sheep. Friends, if you are his sheep, he knows you. By the way, you're not just a number. He knows you by name. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you need. But most importantly, He knows you as His. A third description of the great Good Shepherd is in verse 16. The Good Shepherd has sheep that are not part of this sheep pen. In other words... God already knows, God already has some sheep that are not part of the sheep and of Judaism. God is not waiting to see who else is going to come. He already knows them. He already owns them. And they he will call, and those whom he calls will respond to him. And they will be one flock and one shepherd. Look at verse 16. They will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. Once a good shepherd is, shepherd is gathering his flock, there will be no distinction between Israel and the other nations. There will be only one flock and one shepherd, and that's the church. God's intent from the very beginning was that through Israel, He would make Himself known among the Gentiles and bring about His kingdom on earth. And now it is being fulfilled in one flock and one shepherd, and this is the most important circle you want to make sure you belong to, dear friend. The fourth characteristic, the last one of the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd has authority to lay down his life and take it up again. Remember, this was the first characteristic, but this time what shines is the fact that the Good Shepherd has authority. No one takes away his life from him. It's not an accident. He gives it on his own accord. Yes, the Jews will take his life away, but the death of the Good Shepherd will prove not the authorities of the Jews or the Romans. The death of the Good Shepherd will prove the authority of the Good Shepherd. And by His resurrection, He will prove it again that He has authority to take up His life again. This is how the Good Shepherd is described. He lays down His sheep for the sheep, and He, is, he knows His sheep. He has other sheep not part of Judaism, and then He has authority but who are the sheep? We looked at the gate. We looked at the shepherd. But who are the sheep? Look at verse 21, 26, I'm sorry, 26. There's a problem. From, from verse 22 onward, Jesus is in a different setting, in a piece of dedication. And uh, 
despite all the things that Jesus has taught them and has done for them and claimed about himself, they ask him, Jesus, don't keep us in suspense. Tell us plainly, are you the Christ or not? And Jesus says, I am. I've been telling you that from, all, from the beginning. But you can't listen. I've even explained to you the story that you didn't get the other day. And you don't listen. Why? Why can't you listen? Why can't people today listen to Christ? Here's why. Verse 26. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. Plain and simple. You're not my sheep. You hang out with my sheep. You're mixed among my sheep. You've been in my sheep pen for a while. I came to you. I called you out. You have not recognized my voice. You have not listened to my voice. You're not following the voice of the shepherd. But rather, as we will see in the crucifixion, instead of Jesus, who is it that they call for? Barabbas. And who was he? A thief and a robber. The good shepherd has come. The reason why you cannot listen, you cannot follow, even despite all the miracles I have done in your midst, is because you are just not my sheep. I love what Spurgeon says about this. When there's so many flocks of sheep, it's necessary to mark them. Our Savior marks us. It has been very properly observed that there are only two marks on Christ's sheep. One is on their ear, and the other one is on their foot. These two marks of Christ's sheep are not to be found on any other, but they are to be found on all His own. The mark on the ear, my sheep hear my voice. And the mark on the foot, they know me, I know them, and they follow me. I love what John Chrysostom said, if ye follow me not, it's not because I am not a shepherd, it's because you are not my sheep. Friend, these are the two marks of, true, of the true sheep of God. He owns us before we ever came into existence. He knows us. Friend, are these two marks true of you today? Can you recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd in the preaching of God's Word? Or as you read God's Word, as you meditate God's Word? Or are you just looking and critiquing to human voices? Can you listen and recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd through the calling of under-shepherds? I know it's way past the hour, but i got to tell you a story. One of the things that that stuck with me since I came to Park Hills was a testimony of one of the men here in this congregation. And I, I don't mind sharing his name. It was, it was Sam Echevarria. He mentioned to me the way he came to the Lord. He was lost. He was dark in sin and in darkness. And his wife, Diane, called him over and over, come with me to church. And he would say, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. But one day, I'm not sure why, he just said, I, okay, I just gave in. I said, let me, let me come. And he sat in the back of that sanctuary. And all he can remember, he doesn't remember much about it, but he remembers that he heard the truth. He walked away thinking that he, had, he may have not understood everything, but what he had heard was true. He recognized it as true. And there was more after that for sure, but, but that's what the sheep of God who are still lost experience when they hear the truth. They might not understand it all, but what they hear is they know something about what they have heard is true, and they must follow it. They must come back. They must 
inquire more about it. And when the shepherd calls, they go because there's something in them, not of them, in them. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us recognize who the voice of the shepherd is. We don't. We have no degrees of comparison. We don't know between shepherds and shepherds. It's only the Holy Spirit that when we hear the words of Jesus through the human proclamation of people, here, that's the voice I need to follow. That's the truth. So what does it mean for us? It means that for us who have heard the truth, who have the ability to recognize it, because, not because of our power, but because the Holy Spirit has given that to us, Look at the great promise of verse 29, 28 and 29. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. and No one can snatch them out of my hand. And then verse 29 says that since his sheep were given to him by his father, look at that promise. And no one is greater than his father. It means that no one can snatch these sheep from his father's hands either. Friends, the sheep were given to Jesus by his father. That's why he loves him. That's why he knows him. Because the sheep were the gift the Father has given the Son. It's that gift that was passed on. That's why the, the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Because the sheep were the gift the Father has given to the Son. Friends, it's an incredible picture of the sovereignty of God. Of the mercy of God of the assurance of God that gives us to those who are His sheep. So remember the blind men? Remember His parents who are fearful? Now that they're being kicked out of the synagogue, what will happen to them? Yes, there might be danger. Yes, there's costs. But the shepherd they have recognized and whom they are following will lead them and no one will snatch him out of His hands. And to give a picture of the kind of surety and the kind of assurance and, and, and blessing this shepherd will give. He says, I will give them eternal life. And the very next chapter, Jesus will stay, stand outside the tomb of one of his sheep who had been snatched by death. And he will call out. And the death, dead man, because he's his sheep, will listen, will recognize, and will follow. Because God and the Son, God the Father and the Shepherd have authority over His sheep to call them out from death to life. And when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Why? Because we are in the hands of the Shepherd. That's our assurance. That's why we follow. Father, what greater, what greater blessing could you have given to us?